0: listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. I can never read Psalm 121 without thinking about an old friend. His name was Chris Vise. And we met when we were both in grade four in Sunday school together. We played community club soccer against each other. We went to camp together one summer. And we were both active in a high school ministry called Young Life. We landed at the University of Winnipeg at the same time and even ended up taking some of the same courses... By that time I was working at Marymount as a youth care worker while Chris was doing the same sort of work at a group home. Our stories, our paths just kept crossing like that. When I moved to Toronto to begin my theological studies at Trinity College, Chris was just across the campus at Knox College studying for Ordination in the Presbyterian Church. And We are both serious music lovers, so being in Toronto offered us endless opportunities to see great shows, but with these student budgets, you know, we had to pass on way more than we could actually attend. 1987, we saw U2 in Maple Leaf Gardens on their Joshua Tree Tour. That was a highlight, but the real gem was getting tickets to a fundraiser headlined by Bruce Coburn in this little 300-seat club. It was golden. Well, when it came time for me to move back to Winnipeg and move into ordained ministry, it was Chris who volunteered to drive the truck with me making the long journey across northwestern Ontario in a U-Haul that had clearly seen better days. That trip marked the end of an era, really, as Chris soon returned to southern Ontario to pastor a congregation there. But whenever he came to Winnipeg to visit, we'd get together and we'd pick up the conversation right where it had left off, Two or three or four years earlier. It was that kind of connection? Well, when he was in his mid 30s, Chris was diagnosed with ALS. It's a disease that, over the course of the next three years or so, would slowly weaken his body until he would no longer have the strength to hold up his head and breathe. His response to that diagnosis, well, after the predictable things, the first things like denial, no way, and the why me kind of anger, he started to speak quite openly of embracing the weakness. If he reasoned, if Paul was right in saying that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness... And if the great work of the Incarnation is done through Christ, turning the defeat of death and weakness into the dawn of a new day, then he had much to learn from growing weak. It, it was extraordinary to hear him talk like that. And then to read the letters that he would painstakingly work on his keyboard with his hands growing weaker and weaker. When he died, when his body no longer could sustain his life, a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Glenn Soderholm, a singer-songwriter but also an ordained Presbyterian pastor, Glenn picked up his guitar and he composed a song to bid farewell to Chris. The song was essentially a pretty much a direct setting Of Psalm 121, just as we heard it read tonight. And as Glenn recounts things, it it pretty much poured out of him. He didn't so much compose it as discover it. Now you'd think, though, that if you were writing a song to mark the death of a great friend, a tragic death of a great friend, it might have been a lament psalm that a singer-songwriter like Glenn would have taken hold of. But instead it was Psalm 121, one of the psalms of ascent. It's a traveling psalm that was used by the pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem for the feast. Psalm 121 is marked by a a deep, deep trust, voiced in those assertions that the God who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And that the Lord will keep you from all evil. But didn't it seem that God might have fallen asleep on Chris? And for Glenn, who who lived in southern Ontario and who'd visited him regularly as he weakened, and who joined with a circle of other pastors and friends to provide a steady community to their dying friend... Wouldn't this death seem a kind of evil? Yet that's precisely why it was this psalm that leapt out, ready to be set to music. Like the ancient pilgrims who sang it and prayed it on dangerous, dangerous wilderness roads, Glenn knew he needed to sing it from a posture of deep trust. Trust even as he grieved the death of his friend. Trust even if he was feeling some sense of lostness and unknowing. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, we might assume that those hills are meant to speak of the glory of God in much the same way that people find themselves really awestruck by the glory and the grandeur of entering the Rocky Mountains. But in all likelihood, that's not at all what's in work in that line. As so the biblical scholar Jerome Creech points out, on those roads, the travelers surely observed worship sites devoted to others, deities, up on the hills. And thus, to confess that the Lord was maker of heaven and earth was to say that these other deities, these other gods, weren't. Where does my help come from? Our help? Not from those shrines up on the hills, surely, but from the one who made the very hills. Not only that, but but wilderness terrain was dangerous. The hills harbored thieves who preyed on travelers. You needed to travel together. You needed a community. Otherwise, you were likely to meet the sort of fate that the traveler in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan meets set upon by thieves. So eyeing those hills, perhaps a little nervously, the community responds my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's only in the company of others that you can learn and then sustain that sort of trust. The psalm sings of how the Lord is your shade at your right hand, such that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In the wilderness, the desert, the hot sun is dangerous, and sunstroke a very real threat. And in that worldview, the moon was believed to be tied to mental health, instability, lunacy, so to speak. It was all but paradoxical then for travelers to dare to sing that they were protected from both, both the threat of sunstroke, but also the threat of a deeper kind of instability or inner struggle. But again, because it is sung in community, such trust is possible, is sustainable. It's possible precisely because the community, the companions traveling together, had to care for those who were getting in trouble. The community had to shade the person who was wilting in the sun or who was experiencing the pain of some emotional or mental anguish. They needed to know together when to stop, when to rest, when to take water, when to bear one another up. Then and only then can you sing such strong words. It's like Glenn steadfastly visiting his weakening, dying friend. Or like that circle of friends, pastors, who kept coming around, even when Chris could no longer speak, they kept coming around for conversation. Not backing away, which is what so often happens when someone is dying, you know. So many of the friends begin to back away because they're awkward. Instead, they insistently, faithfully, and trustfully bore him up. What's at stake here is a kind of trust that's born of knowing how life really is. Life can be really difficult, really painful, really unsettling. Stuff happens. But at the same time, being prepared to live with those paradoxes and those struggles and still sing. In the gospel reading, we get a glimpse, a little glimpse of someone not able to trust like that certainly not able to sing like that. Not yet. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, intrigued by what he's been hearing about Jesus, comes to see him, but it's under the cover of the night's darkness, so he won't be seen. He comes with words that that at first sound respectful. Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. It's a kind of a nicety, and Jesus will have none of it. None of it. He could have responded in a kind of a pastorally sensitive manner accepting Nicodemus's polite salutation and then trying to coach the Pharisee along so that they could come to some common ground together, agree to disagree and not let the differences get in the way. He could have done that. But Jesus has way too much respect to do that. And so he engages him and he pushes him. He pays him the honor of challenging and pressing him. And it is an honor. Jesus doesn't want Nicodemus to just slip back into the dark night with his curiosity satisfied. Jesus doesn't want Nicodemus just to have a little more insight, an interesting story to tell about meeting Jesus the rabbi, a new idea to ponder, a little bit of respectful appreciation for these new teachings. No, no. Jesus wants Nicodemus to move from a posture of a kind of a safe and measured, protected, religious thoughtfulness, and to embrace a posture, a radically new posture of trust. So he pushes him. We don't know what Nicodemus was thinking that night when the conversation was over as he left. John in his gospel just doesn't go there. We don't know what he does with it. But Nicodemus does appear one more time in this gospel when he accompanies Joseph of Arimathea, it's a detail included only in John, it's typical of John to, to want to include such observations. Nicodemus accompanies Joseph of Arimathea to claim the dead body of Jesus and to bury it in its tomb. I think that's really striking. He's no longer coming alone under the cover of darkness, hoping not to be noticed. Now he comes in the company of another. And together they very openly express their connection to Jesus. They want the body to bury it. He's learned to trust, in other words, at some level, however provisionally. And he's learned to do it by keeping company with another who has also learned to trust. And together they can go. Now I know... It was just for the sake of giving that broken body a dignified burial. It hardly seems to be a world-changing act. (laughs) Little did they know. And little do we know, right? Little do we know the power of singing paradoxical songs, marked by mystery and by a trust that seems, at least at times, a trust that seems a little thin. But like those ancient pilgrims traveling through a dangerous wilderness together, we sing. We sing together against the paradoxes and the pain and the questions and the struggles. We sing. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.